Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a podcast about the humanities and interdisciplinarity, produced by the Cohen Center for the Humanities at James Madison University. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. I'm Connor, and today I will be sitting down with Dr. T. Kenny Fountain, Professor of English at the University of Virginia. Kenny will be coming to JMU for his talk entitled Suspicious Attractions, The Lore of Conspiracy Theory Thinking on October 12th at 4 p.m. in Memorial Union 405. Welcome to the podcast, Kenny. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tell us a bit about yourself and your work at UVA. I am an associate professor of English, um, specifically in the writing and rhetoric program uh, here at UVA. Um, By training, I am a rhetorician of science and medicine. Um, In the past few years, I've been sort of transitioning more to think about political rhetoric in more detail. Um, um, And I teach occasionally some undergraduate classes um, in uh, rhetoric, science and medicine, but also in uh, political rhetoric, particularly propaganda and conspiracy theories. What got you involved with studying conspiracy theories? Yeah, uh, I think unofficially, um, I have been fascinated with them for years, even I think we could say even as like a teenager, definitely in my 20s. That's one of the things I'll talk about um, uh, during the talk at JMU. Uh, And in many ways, I was a bit of a conspiracy theory believer myself in my 20s and uh, teens and even early 30s. I feel like now as uh, associate professor and somewhat established, I can sort of out myself about that. And that's part of what this is all about in many ways. Um, So there was an early sort of fascination, kind of attraction with these conspiracy theories and kind of conspiracy modes of thinking. Um, But it wasn't, uh, it was more recently, actually, um, that I started becoming more academically involved. Um, And that was when I started seeing the way, and it was, let's say, around the um, mid, uh, the early 2000s, when I started seeing the way that conspiracy theories were really animating a lot of our public discourse about elections. I mean, we think about it in 2016, we think about it in 2020, but it started much earlier historically. But you could start also really seeing it, you know, in the 90s, you could start seeing it in the early 2000s. So it was at that point that I started getting more and more interested in it, um, in a sense, like academically, like research wise. And well, that's a perfect segue into my next question. What will you be speaking about at JMU uh, broadly? Yeah, so this is part of, uh, this is one bit of my talk, a part of a much larger project. And it's looking specifically at um, what we might call, what is sometimes called the conspiracy mindset, the sort of dispositions, um, the ideologies, the worldviews, really the ways of thinking and the ways of feeling that make uh, conspiracy theories so attractive um, and so second nature 
for a lot of people. So I'm really interested in getting us to think about not just the theories themselves, which are outlandish and fun to think about, but getting us to think about why someone might engage in these. What are some of the, we might say, uh, personal pleasures, the communal benefits, and the political advantages of engaging in this kind of thought, um, in part to get us to shift uh, um, if I might so arrogantly say, some of our thinking about this away from something like paranoia, which is about personal persecution, but toward an idea of a kind of suspiciousness, a sort of overall distrust that um, one might have, and the sort of allure and attractiveness of engaging with that kind of distrust, personally beneficial and personally enjoyable, right? But also when it comes to our political and communal bonds. What do you think is most important for students to be aware of when it comes to conspiracy theories and conspiracy thinking? (sighs) That's a great question. Um, I think one of the first things to become aware of is that we all likely believe in at least one conspiracy theory. Uh, Social psychologists, in fact, tell us that we do. Um, Now, it doesn't mean it's a grand conspiracy theory. It doesn't mean that it's what uh, researchers call a super conspiracy theory. It can be what I call low grade. It can be quite harmless. But the first thing to think about is that conspiracy theories aren't just something that the other people believe, those other people. Conspiracy thinking is something that we can, whether we like it or not, all sort of engage in. And so first off, it's realizing that we too are part of the problem. Second, I think it's being very uh, conscious of the way that conspiracy theories spread, particularly their connection with sort of online rumor now. Um, Many conspiracy theories spread through social media. And sometimes they're, th- they're spread by what could be called a non-believer. They're sometimes spread by someone who just finds it fascinating, who's curious, who finds it interesting. One of the things to think about is um, uh, spreading these sort of unfounded stories, even if it's like cool and fascinating and unusual, can be potentially dangerous because there are communities out there that are already engaged in that ideas. And with the way that things can be spread through social media, everything from Facebook to Twitter, but also Instagram and TikTok, uh, big, all big venues still for conspiracy theories and conspiracy thinking, um, spreading them, even if one doesn't necessarily believe in them, can be extremely dangerous. So I'm always like, uh, think before you just uh, share something. That is excellent advice. Um, And for me, especially as a student, I feel like uh, that is something that needs to be reminded when you're going through social media and really think about um, deeply. Um, is there a specific conspiracy theory that has sparked your interest over the years, one that's completely ridiculous or one that's kind of believable, like birds aren't real? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one's fun. Uh, yeah, so 
Um, part of what I'm talking about uh, in the talk and in this sort of larger research uh, that I must say, I, I don't feel completely comfortable with, but let's see how this goes, which is my own sort of past belief in uh, UFOs and alien abduction, right? Um, now, it didn't rise to the level of necessarily me personally thinking I had been abducted, but one of the things I talk about is that there is a kind of raw material for conspiracy belief that we have to think about. And some of that raw material can be our connections to social groups. It can be our religious or spiritual ideas and beliefs. It can be our connection to political groups, but it can also just be our life events, right? So psychologists have looked at the ways that many people who, um, end up believing in these uh, UFO conspiracies, particularly abduction, people who think they've been abducted, will have what is sometimes called screen memories, very vivid dreams that feel real. And they'll sometimes have night terrors or sleep paralysis. So that I have uh, from childhood, these very vivid screen memories that are just dreams, because when I interrogate them, I realize that uh, it, did, it couldn't have possibly happened. And there are a couple of times when I have had sleep paralysis, which gives you the sensation of someone standing over you, sometimes floating, sometimes people observing you. Um, that's the raw material for belief in something like uh, alien abduction and UFOs. So that's one that I've been very, very interested in. Um, more recently, a lot of my work focuses more specifically on the kind of constellation of conspiracy theories that is now known as QAnon. And so uh, in relation to things, it, it's sort of uh, sibling conspiracies, everything from Pizzagate to the deep, these theories of the deep state now stop the steal. Um, and that's what I'm doing a lot of my sort of work on now. And that's where a lot of my sort of examples and things are drawn from those beliefs in that, that community. So how do these theories and platforms that spread them, such as QAnon, affect students, specifically those at JMU and UVA? Yeah. So um, one of the things that we know it, historically, historians have talked about this, that conspiracy theories and conspiracy thinking are not new. Um, there are historians of the American Revolution that find it. There were conspiracy theories um, in the 19th century. Uh, it, it's kind of an American tradition and not just an American tradition. But we now have the internet, right, in ways that we didn't in the 60s and 70s. So things are really just a click away. They can be spread really easily. We also have a kind of culture now in which everyone is trying to get or become an influencer, right? People want followers. You want likes. So what that means is you have to put out content. You have to circulate things that will give you those followers and give you those likes. Um, conspiracy theories, uh, particularly QAnon, are still all over the internet. They're all over Facebook, though they've tried to uh, uh, clamp down on it. But they're also very popular on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and so these theories can spread really, really easily. So I think one of the things that uh, 
college students have to think about all of us, right? All ages are on the social media is being really careful about, again, what you share, thinking really carefully about the ways that these ideas that you encounter, right? Might be connected to other political ideologies. So things like birds aren't real is a pretty funny, silly, sort of innocuous thing, right? But when you get these things that seem to encourage a kind of uh, COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy, right? Those are the ones you have to pause. Those are the ones that you're like, okay, I shouldn't spread this. Um, And those are the ones you really have to dig deep to think about, okay, now where does this come from? Who is giving this information? Um, Because a lot of people, again, are spreading these and they have no fidelity to the belief. Like they don't even believe it, right? But it's cool. It's interesting. Maybe they discovered that that hashtag conspiracy, which is again, all over uh, TikTok and uh, things like that, right? Gets them more followers. And therefore that's the way to get those likes for a while. So I think one of the ways that it affects is that we're all involved with it, but anybody who spends a lot of their life on social media, and there's no judgment about that. I really think we all do even things like YouTube, which is a now form of social media in many ways. Right. Um, we're bombarded by versions of this. And so we have to be really careful about what we share and think really carefully about where our, where the information that we're getting might be coming from. Do you have any advice for students whose families buy into these theories? How do we engage with those who proliferate, proliferate those theories, specifically those who are close to us, like family, friends, roommates, anyone that we have on social media? How uh, do we conversate with these people and talk to them? That's a really good question. Uh, So last fall, I taught an undergraduate class in uh, rhetoric, propaganda, conspiracy theories. And I thought I was going to save that for the end. But more and more students in the class wanted to schedule appointments because many of them said, I have family members that believe some version of either QAnon or something on the periphery of it, right? Um, There are a couple things you can do. One of the very first things is interrogate our own beliefs about these first. There's a lot of sort of internal prejudice where we're like, it's what those people do. I never do that. Guess what? You believe one. Um, So first off, reconsider your relationship to them. Um, Second off, don't assume that people believing these are dumb or uneducated or good empirical research in social sciences. That might not be true. Many educated people, everybody believes that it cuts across all kinds of spectrums of education and class and gender and race and all of those things, socioeconomic levels, but conspiracy theory belief cuts across all of those. Um, So, Think about the ways in which we other people that believe this, first thing. Second thing is it's important to reconsider that because the first thing you have to do is listen and you have to, if you want to do anything, you have to listen and try to engage. The first way to do it is just to listen, to be empathetic, to show the, let's say a family member that, you know, you are care, you do care, you are concerned, 
And then in your conversations with them, um, try to unpack and help them unpack why they believe what they believe. Where are they getting this from? Where did you hear that? Um, Well, how could that be possible? Well, why would somebody do that? Uh, A thing I call the if then, then why not? Well, if they had the power to do that, then why wouldn't they do it this way? Or why wouldn't they have done it just out in the open, right? But even then, you got to empathize. You got to really try to care. But you also have to acknowledge that debunking, well, look what I found, and this is wrong, and what you're saying is wrong, and here's the evidence, almost has no effect on a true believer. So debunking often will not work. It's about trying to forge a connection with them. But it's also respecting your boundaries and sometimes saying, wow, we have to stop. Like, I can't talk about this with you. And it's okay not to be able, it's okay to have this thing where you cannot talk about it with someone else. QAnon in particular for the true believers, journalists talk about it all the time. It's actually really um, uh, made a significant impact on sort of dividing people from their family members. And so sometimes pulling away um, is important. Finally, how can students and others in higher education resist against these theories uh, in their institutions, online, face-to-face with other peers um, in the professional world? It's tough. Uh, There isn't a really easy answer to that. I wish there was, right? Um, Increasingly, we see, and other researchers talk about this, Uh, conspiracy thinking, conspiracy worldviews, conspiracy conspiracy mindsets are becoming our sort of de facto politics in this country. It's, we see it on all sides um, of uh, political candidates, political parties engaging in this. We see more and more political candidates coming forward who have previously and even now still believe things like QAnon. Um, So there isn't an easy fix that we in the academy can do to sort of get rid of it. I think one of the things that we can do is have a better, like as researchers, have a better understanding of what these theories are, how they spread, who believes them, what are both the social factors and psychological factors that encourage someone to believe them. And I think we also, again, have to think about our own engagement with these theories and with these ideas. Um, And we have to be careful of the sort of what I call the low-grade conspiracy theories that we might believe in and might start spreading. Um, We have to be really careful about that. I think that one of the most important things we can do as, like, uh, you know, teachers and with our friends is um, try to create spaces where we don't, if our go-to frame for talking about conspiracy theories is how crazy those people are, we fail. We failed because we've alienated them 
we they're they are then more likely to be pulled off into this extreme belief. So if our first thing is to criticize them as somehow wrong or or somehow lacking, particularly like stupid, we failed. But we also have to acknowledge and have no patience for the ways conspiracy theories can be politically dangerous, the way they can lead to sort of extremist ideology, and also the way that they can leave, lead to uh, bigotry, uh, racial prejudice, and particularly in the long history of conspiracy theories, anti-Semitism. Kenny, we are so excited to have you coming to James Madison University on October 12th. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. Make sure to follow us at Instagram and Twitter at JMU Cohen Center. And be on the lookout for more conversations at the Cohen Center.